This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Oh, there was one other aspect of the Israel situation that I didn't mention last hour, which is that uh, people are looking at whether or not short sellers had knowledge of the Hamas attack on Israel before it occurred. And um, that is another similarity with with 9-11 and would seem to suggest that certain investors had advanced knowledge. Now, that doesn't in and of itself mean that Netanyahu or the Israeli government had advanced knowledge, but uh, because, you know, bin Laden and some of the investors tied to al-Qaeda, they did the same thing in, um, in terms of 9-11. But yeah, researchers are flagging a suspicious surge in the short-selling of Israeli stocks days before the Hamas attack. It was a draft paper published yesterday by two law professors that a trader or traders, we don't know, was informed of Hamas's plans to attack ahead of time and potentially made millions on it. Can you imagine? I mean, how evil must you be not only to kill all these innocent people, but to profit in advance with that information instead of helping to prevent this attack. But uh, short sellers obviously benefit when share prices decline, as Israeli stocks did in the aftermath of the attack. So NYU's Robert Jackson Jr. and Columbia's Joshua Mitz wrote, uh, quote, our findings suggest that traders informed about the coming attacks profited from these tragic events. So while the paper presents a compelling case for a further investigation of what, if anything, went on, it's not a slam dunk. Even the authors acknowledge that. They said, we're unable to link particular market participants to the pre-attack developments we see in securities markets. So we'll see where it goes, but I think it certainly merits further investigation. A couple of other things um, related to the aftermath of this uh, Israel situation. And we're going to talk about other situations as well and other things that are maybe more upbeat as well. So just bear with me. Oh, and we're going to go through your mail. So if you want to send me some email, we're going to go through that in about 20 minutes. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at uh, RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. We all know the actress Susan Sarandon. Uh, She's a a terrific actress. My favorite film that she did was uh, Atlantic City, obviously, but she was terrific in Bull Durham. She was very good in a film with with Paul Newman and Gene Hackman called Twilight. She's had just a remarkable career. So she went to a pro-Palestinian rally in New York 
last month in November. And she took the stage and um, this is what she said at the time. Um, I think. No. OK. This is not what she said at, at the time. So at the time she made the she made a supposition of uh, something that many people said was horribly anti-Semitic. Basically, she said. U.S. Jews fearing for their safety amidst a spike in anti-Semitism, quote, are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country. So basically she said, well, you know, these Jews that are terrified about being beaten up for being Jewish, well, now they know what it's like to be Muslim. So she has now apologized to that. She was dropped by her agent after those comments. And she apologized and she said that um, the phrasing was a terrible mistake as it implies that until recently Jews have been strangers to persecution when the opposite is true. I think this is a portion of her apology. The Palestine, they're just, their love and their resilience is unbelievable. Again, thank you to the Jewish community who's come out to have our back. I am standing with Jewish people. It is not all Jewish people that feel the way you do. When I have a conversation with someone who is supporting what's going on with Israel. So thank you all for including us in this demonstration. And uh, stay strong. So I'm not sure when those comments were made or where they're from. But uh, she did issue a statement that said... The phrasing was a terrible mistake, as it implies that until recently, Jews have been strangers to persecution when the opposite is true. She went on to say, I deeply regret diminishing this reality and hurting people with this comment. It was not my intent to show solidarity to the struggle against bigotry of all. It was my intent. Excuse me. It was my intent to show solidarity to the struggle against bigotry of all kinds, and I am sorry I failed to do so. Now, her comments at the rally that I read to you a moment ago drew all sorts of condemnation and ire, including from people that aren't Jewish, including from a lot of uh, Muslim folks. So a lot of folks are saying that because there was such a backlash to her comments, that's why. She apologized. And this apology isn't necessarily genuine. Someone else who made an apology recently, kind of coming at this from the opposite view, was Juliana Margolis or Margolis. I I like her as an actress. She was great on ER. She was great in the episodes of The Sopranos that she did. And I I think she's a very good actress, but I can never get the pronunciation of her last name quite right. I think it's Margolis. So Juliana Margulies is um, facing a lot of backlash for criticizing what well what people said was criticizing the black and LGBTQ communities over their perceived lack of support for Israel amidst its ongoing war against Hamas. Now her she was on a uh, a podcast, The Back Room with Andy Ostroy. And uh, she made remarks about the topic of anti-Semitism 
in light of the Israel-Hamas conflict. And on the podcast, Margolis and and Osteroy, who's known for his uh, HBO documentary on his late wife, Adrienne Shelley, they got into the topic of anti-Semitism with Margolis saying that former President Donald Trump legitimized its rise when he praised neo-Nazi protesters after the uh, Charlottesville rally. So from there, Margolis spoke about what she perceived as a lack of support for Israel after its citizens were attacked by Hamas on October 7th. Comparing it to responses, she says she and other Jewish people have offered the black and LGBTQ plus communities during previous injustices. This is what she said. I'm the first person to march for Black Lives Matter. When that happened to George Floyd, I put a black screen on my Instagram. Can I pause here? I'm going to read you the rest of the quote. But think about that. She put a black screen on her Instagram. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, that is why whenever the, the these putting French flags or Ukrainian flags on your Facebook photo or uh, uh, whatever, uh, 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 what, you know, anything on, on Instagram, if you're really a victim of oppression or you're being murdered or you're at war, nobody cares. If there's a black screen on your on your Instagram, but I've always said doing these sorts of things on social media, they don't help anyone. They give you the person that's doing it the feeling that you're doing something when in actuality you're doing nothing. But she thinks that she did something. Okay, let me refrain from my commentary until I read you the rest of her quote. I'm the first person to march for Black Lives Matter. When that happened to George Floyd, I put a black screen on my Instagram like I ran to support my black brothers and sisters. When LGBTQ people are being attacked, I run. I made a commercial for same-sex marriages with my husband in 2012 like I am the first person to jump up when something is wrong, as I think most Jews are, because we've been persecuted from the beginning of time, not just World War II, but literally from the beginning of time when we first lived in Israel way before anybody else. After Ostori said, you're 100% right. If we use the wrong pronouns on college campuses, there'd be an uproar. Margolis went on to criticize progressive young people whom she feels have supported those attacking Jews. This is what she said, quote, It's those kids who are spewing this anti-Semitic hate that have no idea if they stepped foot in an Islamic country, these people who want us to call them they, them, or whatever they want us to call them, which I have respectfully really made a point of doing, like be whoever you want to be. It's those people that will be the first people beheaded and their heads played like a soccer ball on the field. And that's who they're supporting. Terrorists who don't want women to have their rights. LGBTQ people get executed, bar none. And this is who you're supporting? It is so insane to me that it is laughable if it wasn't so sad. It's unfathomable. And where are the professors calling all these students into the auditorium and saying, hold on a minute, guys, do you understand what a terrorist organization is about? Learn what you're supporting. So... She got called out almost immediately. Washington Post journalist Karen Atia 
called her out uh, on what on Twitter. Wish I could say that Juliana Margolis' racist rant against black people is an outlier, but as I've said before, I've heard this same sentiment from supposedly liberal circles. Solidarity with black people is transactional. We are supposed to be grateful charity recipients. A lot of LGBTQ people also upset. She um, So she issued an apology. Um, this, I won't read you all the criticism of her, but it was substantial from the black community and the LGBTQ plus uh, community. This is what she said in response. This was her apology. I am horrified by the fact that statements I made on a recent podcast offended the black and LGBTQIA plus communities. That's how she phrased it. Communities I truly love and respect. I want to be 100% clear. Racism, homophobia, sexism, or any prejudice against anyone's personal beliefs or identity are abhorrent to me. Full stop. Throughout my career, I have worked tirelessly to combat hate of all kind and anti-Semitism, speak out against terrorist groups like Hamas, and forge a united front against discrimination. I did not intend for my words to sow further division, for which I am sincerely apologetic. So that's very interesting, that apology, because she's not really apologizing for what she said. She's apologizing at the result of her words. She's not really saying, well, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I was incorrect. That was I was foolish to say that. I was in a hurry or whatever. She's saying, I did not intend for my words to show further division. That's what she's sincerely apologetic for. It's kind of a, a, a wordy way of saying, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or I'm sorry you're upset. You're, you know, you're not really apologizing for making that person upset. You're apologizing that they happen to be upset. So I'm curious what you make of uh, both of these apologies, because I have a feeling now that um, everybody pounces on every public statement that every public person says ever, there are going to be a lot more people looking for things and demanding apologies for them. I don't believe uh, either of these apologies, honestly, the Sarandon apology or the Margulies policy uh, apology, and they're coming at this from two totally different ends. I don't believe anyone, either of them are terribly sincere. I think both of them faced a tremendous professional backlash, and they're apologizing. In Margulies' case, I think you could call it a pseudo-apology. They're apologizing, air quotes, in order to avoid further damage to their reputations and their careers. What do you think? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. All right. So uh, we have no open lines, which must mean all of these callers are great. Let us see if that's indeed the case. Sam is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sam. Hello. Yeah. That New York Times story about the Hamas plan... If you read it carefully, that Hamas plan was only part of the plan. It didn't have the part about kidnapping and killing people in the kibbutzim and the moshavim and things like that. Well, apparently the kidnapping was not supposed to be part of the plan. That was kind of a, a spur-of-the-moment amendment to it. They grabbed no, 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 no. They were ordered to. Some of them were. They were, ordered, they were. they were given different orders because there were about 20 or 20 
two or something like that, uh, different groups, and each one didn't know about the other. Some of them were just told to kill, and also even told to rape. Some of them were told to, to try to kidnap people. Uh, and and what, were, what's the source for this, Sam? I think it's something that came, uh, well, actually, the, the, the source for the fact that they were all, they were all isolated from each other. No, no, no. The, the fact that the, the kidnapping was part of the initial plan, because I, I've heard just be. the it opposite. It had to be. Oh, that, that's been repeated a number of times. All right, but, but can you point me to one one source? Anything, any, well, I think probably something that came from uh, Israel, the interrogations or something like that. Uh, it might be the original okay, source. I, I haven't seen that, but but go ahead, finish your point. Okay. So I think also that the plan was not drawn up by anybody in Gaza. They're not capable of that. In fact, actually, that New York Times story, there, there was another New York Times story about um, the... Uh, uh, the there was another New York Times story about... Um, the, I just want to point out that all I'm the callers were apparently so good, uh, we couldn't drop one of them to get an open line for you to call in. So if you were, are trying to call the, in right now and getting the, a busy signal, there was a new, there was a, the, the other we story had to get Sam on. was about... Oh. All right, Sam, we'll give it some thought. Maybe give us a call back uh, another time. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hey, Frank. As someone who rescues cats and even other animals, if I find them on occasion, the ones, cats and dogs, they are domesticated animals. They are bred and raised as pets to be companions. It's not like they're farm animals which are raised for food or are taken from the wild like fish. And it's very cruel and inhumane what they're doing to these animals, the dogs and cats. Well, I, in I certainly agree with countries. you, but there are other people that say that maybe a rabbit has personality or a deer, and there are people that eat rabbit. There are people in this country that eat deer. Why is the cat or dog different? It's because of how they're raised, that they're bred and, and, and born. Interesting. Well, but in Indonesia, I'm not sure they're raised the same way necessarily. Well, they're not raised for food, really. <laughs> they're just happening to be used as food in that culture, and uh, it's just not right. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Robert. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Avnir is in New York State. Hello, Avnir. Yes. Good, evening. Good night. Uh, thank you for, for thanking, taking my call. I'm a veteran of uh, Yom Kippur War. And unfortunately, the history repeats itself. But there is some difference. In Yom Kippur War, the government knew about it, Golda Meir knew about it, and she blocked the army not to respond. She didn't let the top general of the army, uh, his name was Dado, I think, to, to call the reserve. She didn't let the uh, the head of the air force to bomb the Syrian tanks before they went to the Golan Heights. 
The Air Force has their, have their own intelligence based on a different uh, uh, video, eh? pictures taken from the air. They saw the tanks coming. They was prepared to wipe them to wipe them completely before they crossed the border, and she didn't let them. So, Avnir, g- given the history and given your perspective, what should we take from this? What does what do you think that means prospectively? I to, give me a permission to add another word. Unfortunately, uh, there is an ombudsman in Israel, and the ombudsman always was warning that the army is not uh, prepared. It was in the Israel newspapers. The army is not prepared to protect the, all the villages around. The Israeli army? Yes. Uh-huh. The ombudsman of the government was warning that the army is not prepared, regardless of this plan or other plan. But the point on this plan, I have some info from Israel. The top guy in the Shabak, Shabak is a parallel unit like the mm-hmm. FBI in the United States, commit suicide. After, after what's happened, he left a letter which not published. I personally think that, the, that uh, Bibi Netanyahu did not know about this plan. I don't believe that he would let it happen. And I, sus- I have suspicion that the leftists would, would know. Let's, let's put it more clear. There are Israeli units that's entering Gaza Strip all the time. Top units. One of the units from Seret Matkal was discovered like a year ago. And their commander got killed and it was on the newspapers. They're entering Gaza Strip all the time. There's no question they knew about that. But I myself suspect that the le- if everybody re- uh, remembers, all the protests against Bibi Netanyahu, which took place before, and all of a sudden got stopped after that, that somebody on the left side was hidden it, was hiding the information mm-hmm. from him in order to let him fail. Interesting. That's, that's an that's interesting my, theory. That's my vision. Avnir, thank you. I want to try and get to some other folks, but we, before we go through the mail, thanks for your service as well. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hi, Joe. Yeah, hi, Frank. I have two opinions on the uh, apology, two points. One is, I don't know if people, uh, you know, when I say I'm for the LBG in particular or the black community, especially LBG, I don't think uh, a high percentage of those people even identify as being a member of that community, even if they indulge in that to some extent. So I, well, I, I, I don't understand what you mean. You, you're saying gay people don't uh, think they're gay? No, no, they don't identify with the community necessarily, number one. And even if they do, they don't need to have a, a linked uh, uh, you know, thought about an international issue based on what's happening there. They can think independently about all the factors that are involved with what's happening in the Middle East, not just how theoretically that group is actually treated, which we don't know for sure. They, they can think independently of what group they identify with, if indeed they do identify with that group. They should be independent. Their thinking should be, in fact, 
has some independence, even if they identify with that group. All right. I mean, certainly I, I would agree and say that's not just true of the LBGD community. I think that's true of every group. Exactly. Exactly. Even if I identify as, you know, I'm half Irish, uh, I have to think independently of what other Irish people. I don't drink at all, which is, uh, you know, a typical Irish suppose, indulgence. You know, I, I have, you know, so I don't identify with that portion of being half Irish. Right. Well, uh, yeah. Thank you, Joe. I, I think we're a little off the beaten path here. Once we get into what stereotypes of certain ethnic groups we we adhere to and which we don't, I'm asking you about these apologies from two very public people, very uh, prominent people. I don't believe they're sincere. I think they're being done solely for strategic purposes. And in the case of Juliana Margolis, I don't even think it's an apology. She's apologizing at the result of her actions, not for doing it. You know, it's almost, and this is a poor example because words are very different than actions. But if um, if someone punches someone in the face um, and they have to go to the hospital, what she's basically doing is saying, well, I'm sorry you had to go to the hospital. She's not saying, I'm sorry I punched you in the face. You see the distinction? In the case of Susan Sarandon, I think um, her words are were very clear, and it's clear that, that she had thought a lot about them, and I, I just don't think she expected the severe backlash that she got from them. That's my take. 800-848-9222. Uh, we will go through the mail straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Tamara Karsip selection. Hungry Like Mike Wolf by Duran Duran. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program, 
Uh, just join our Facebook group. Uh, just uh, go on Facebook and search M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. We post the music there every morning, and it's also meant to be a place where listeners interact with one another about this show. If you like something that we're doing, if you don't like it, that's the place to have a civil discussion with other listeners about the program and uh, the, uh, continues to grow. Sometimes people get frustrated at some of the other members and leave, but hopefully people have a good experience there. All right. Now, it is now time for those of you that prefer the written word to the telephone. It's time for... Let me begin with some of the snail mail. Uh, if you ever want to send us snail mail, it's just plain old regular mail. You can uh, send it to my attention, Frank Morano, at P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. That's uh, P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. Just my attention, Frank Morano. All right. This is from Jeff in North Carolina. Jeff writes, Frank, I am asleep. When Ask Frank Anything comes on, question, what will be your legacy in Jesus Christ? I don't know, Jeff. Do any of us know? I mean, I I have no idea. I'd like to think that I believe in him. And because I believe in him, that'll be, you know, that'll be enough as far as him taking stock of things. But who knows? All right. Oh, this is going to be a doozy. I can already tell. This is an envelope with my name on it and the address. And no, it has a return address, but no return name. Whenever there's not a return name, you know this is going to be a doozy. And sure enough, you open this up and there's not a letter. There's another envelope, which also has my name on it. And the envelope, it says private. But instead of a letter in the envelope, there's writing on the back of the envelope. It says, don't open. Okay. And there indeed doesn't appear to be a letter. So, again, this person apparently just used an envelope to be his letterhead. Okay. And to no one's surprise, I believe this is unsigned. Frank Morano, please explain why a blocked number is prohibited on a talk show of ideas. Only offensive language is prohibited. Listen to tapes from Alex, Tom L., Barry Gray, Nebel, Simone, Radio Chick. You protested the behavior of politics in Congress, but supported Sliwa's vulgar antics when he ran for mayor. The public owned the airwaves. We give government the right to lease it. Bob Grant was often referred to as a creep, but he was never afraid to hear opposing opinions. Talk radio can be fun, too. Your bosses might learn that. Loosen up, Frank. Constructive comments. First of all, uh, we don't have anybody blocked in terms of callers. Second, I, because I worked on Curtis's campaign, or I volunteered on Curtis's campaign, I should say, I really have to take issue with your characterization of his campaign as being characterized by vulgar antics. If you look at what he was up against, I mean, look, there were some things that were a little cartoonish that I wouldn't have done. 
But um, if you look at what people did to him, I think he was way he was un, he was actually much more mature as a candidate than he is as a media personality. I mean, if you look at what, the things that Fernando Mateo said about him during the debate and publicly, if you look at the things that Eric Adams said about him during that debate and publicly, I honestly think Curtis largely took the high road. Um, from the world of Twitter, formal, uh, formerly Twitter, now it's X. You could find me on there at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. Douglas Henderson Jr. Esquire writes. I'm not a fan of the racist radio show you are on. Thank you. But listen to you when I can. (laughs) Don't you love that? Not a fan of the radio show that I'm on, the racist radio show, but he listens when he can. Your interview with Jonathan Alter was phenomenal. You did your homework, and Alter was incredible in his details of Mr. and Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Carter's lives. Well, first of all, thank you, Douglas Henderson Jr. Esquire. But I asked him, what is the racist radio show? Is it this one? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you could say about this radio show. It being racist, I don't believe is is one, but I guess you're never your own best critic. All right, via text message, this is from today on some of the topics that we've been covering. Uh, Matt sounds very stoned. No, he is named Matt Plays for a reason. Who knows? All right, I appreciate what I appreciate what you said. It annoys me when ignorant people criticize kosher meat slaughter, saying production line mechanical slaughter is better. Kosher slaughter has been developed over millennia to be the most humane way, yet there are U.S. states and EU countries that have looked to ban it. It's hard to find those bans as anything but anti-Semitic rather than a difference in view, so I feel a little empathy to those Indonesians who eat dog meat because I know what it's like to be part of a group that has a minority practice. All right. Another person writes, uh, in Asia, this, and these people didn't sign their names, so that's the only reason I'm not reading it. Uh, in Asia, the dogs and cats are wild animals. I don't want to see them as, go- as food, but they aren't the domesticated animals we know. Another person writes, in light of the terrorist attacks in Israel, security and policing should be heightened around Hasidic Jewish communities in Orange, Rockland, Sullivan, and Ulster counties. Okay. Uh, To email we go, uh, I don't know if this person wants her name mentioned, but I'll just mention her comment without her name. She writes, Israel had to know, unfortunately. And I've gotten a lot of other emails saying essentially the same thing. Jeff in uh, North Carolina. I'm not sure if it's the same Jeff that asked me about my legacy when it comes to Jesus Christ, but he writes, just wanted to tell you, Frank, you are doing a great job. Enjoy listening to you. Thank you, Jeff. That's awfully nice. All right. Bobby writes, (laughs) I am traveling to New York in February, and I would like to do your show at the actual studio. Furthermore, I am a public speaker seeking paid speaking engagements when I come to New York, New York, the third week in February. And I hope that you can connect me with some people who can help get me some speaking engagements. First of all, um, I I don't even remember who this person is. He's emailing me like we've been in touch before, and I'm sure that we have, but... I mean, don't you think if I had a way to get someone paid speaking engagements, 
I would try to get myself paid speaking engagements. I'm always hearing about these people that are doing these paid speaking gigs uh, where they get paid sometimes even just to interview people. And I'll tell you, in my case, you know, those engagements are few and far between. (laughs) And I don't have people banging down my door to pay me. I don't know who this fellow thinks that I am that I can set him up with all these paid speaking engagements. But best of luck. All right. Michael. Mike from Boston writes, hello, Frank. How are you? Talk show hosts on other shows usually get annoyed when asked this question, but you handle it well. When you respond by joking, where are you getting the responses from as I haven't heard the same joke twice? Well, um, and then uh, he has another part of that letter, but I'll answer that. I honestly, I always used to say, like, Larry Glick, let me check, uh, but it kind of got old. And then Simone also took that from Larry Glick, so... I was not. I don't want to, you know, uh, Simone accusing me of radio theft. But um, so I actually jotted down a couple of fun responses to that. And, uh, you know, I just keep them in, on my notes in front of me. My favorite part of your show is letters to Frank. You make the negative comments amusing as you emphasize how mad they claim to be when reading. My question is, where does the theme song come from? It sounds like the one David Letterman used. So that's my guest. Thanks for keeping me entertained when working days via your podcast. So. Um, no, it's not from David Letterman, but it is similar. So I first became, and he's talking about that sounder that we play at the beginning of the segment. Letters, we get your letters. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, I first became exposed to that because when I was producing a morning show in about 2004, 2005. And I thought it was such a great jingle. We played it all the time on the show that I was producing. And it was just in our sound library. Nobody really knew where it came from. And then it was kind of lost for the, the sands of time, and I searched far and wide for it for the next, uh, I'd say, from 2009 to 2021. For about oh, 12 years, I searched. Couldn't find it. I talked about my search on air, and I got all sorts of people saying, oh, this is the song you're looking for. This is the song you're looking for. I talked about it. And then we had dinner with Joe Nolan, a legendary New York radio traffic reporter, and after dinner, he invited all of us, everybody that worked on this show at the time, and that was five staffs ago, um, invited us over his house for an after-dinner drink. So we went, and we looked at the area where he does his recording and things like that, and he played some fun jingles. Sure enough, one of the ones that he played was the one that I played, the male sounder. I said, Joe, I have been looking for this for 12 years. What is this? Where did you get this? Who made this? And she said, and he said, it's part of a collection of radio sounders that radio stations buy, and you know, special effects and sound effects and things like that. I said, Joe, you've got to give this to me, and he gave it to me, which I have really, really appreciated. So uh, that is due. The rediscovery of that is due to Joe Nolan. All right, Jonathan writes, dear Mr. Morano. Being a retired school educator and administrator, your commentary about much-needed subjects in school that are no longer offered, like cursive writing, civics and local history, political science, skills, trades, finance management, typing, and shorthand, art, music, etc., hit home with me. Now all the emphasis is on raising standardized test scores in reading and math. Unfortunately, schools have no choice in choosing or altering curriculum or determining which subjects stay or go, which is determined at the state level by the state's Department of Education. I agree 
that not every student is college-bound and any society needs citizens trained in the skilled trades in order to carry out manual tasks like plumbing, electricity, heating, etc. The way to affect change is for parents to attend school board meetings to voice their concerns. Parents have more power than they're made to realize and need to become change agents to determine the course of their children's academic preparation. Have a great week, and as always, eagerly awaiting your next show. Peace, Jonathan. Okay, I I agree with everything you said. Dan from Syosset writes on the subject of the New Hope train. Frank, I'm somewhat disappointed in you. Well, that's a nice change. I've gone from people being horribly disappointed in me to outright disliking me to just being somewhat disappointed. I'll take it. A man about town, nice dinners and lunches in Atlantic City. You didn't see this coming when you teed it up and told us your mother spent a lot of money. As soon as you started the story, I knew just where the story was going. You, sir, are a rube. The kicker is you said you had a great time. The luster would have worn off for me. Another term for what happened to you is you have, sir, been grin effed. Please don't disappoint me again. Dan from Syosset. I will endeavor not to disappoint you. Thank you. Jay writes, hey, Frank, love your show today on the subject of money and happiness. Money does not buy happiness. Money, however, buys the means to happiness and thereby facilitates it. Okay. Happiness comes from gratitude, the ability to appreciate things. Money removes the barriers, stress, constraint, restrictions, inabilities that don't give you room for happiness. When you have money, you can worry less about financial responsibilities, thereby increasing potential for happiness. Personally, I now make more than I thought I would would make me happy. I personally have achieved happiness, but my spouse is less happy because we now have far more wealthy friends. Therefore, my life is worse. Love you, Frank. Love to Carmine and Rachel. Thank you, Jay. All right, Denise writes, uh, I commented on your mother's Facebook page about how nice that train and town are, but that's outrageous about the drinks. New Hope is a really nice t- town. Glad you had a nice time. That's from D. Thank you, D. Question. Um, this is from Al from Florida. He writes, Hi, Frank. This is Al from Florida. If I could do so, could I ask a question in advance? Ba 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 ba. I'll be listening as I'm now on the podcast for the answer. I heard recently listening to and enjoying Jeffrey Lickman's podcast, and he thinks that Curtis Lewa has up to 30 cats in his tiny 300-square-foot apartment. So my question is, do you know if Curtis and Nancy Lewa really have 30 cats in their apartment? LOL. Thanks, Frank. Uh, Al, no, it's not 30. I believe the number's around 13. It, it fluctuates between 13 and 20, though, because they do foster a lot of cats. As uh, cats are waiting for a home, they'll kind of hang out there. But I believe that number is currently 13. All right. Uh, this is from Lisa, Jeff and Lisa, to be precise, in Seaside Park, New Jersey. Hi, Frank. Just letting you know that we watched the movie Spy Game from 1991 this afternoon and loved it. Wow. What a great movie. Can't believe we hadn't seen it before. Thank you for recommending. Truly appreciate it. Jeff and Lisa. Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad that Jeff and Lisa enjoyed it. But I'll be honest, I don't remember seeing a movie Spy Game. And the only movie Spy Game, uh, so I, I don't remember recommending that at all. Um... There's a movie spy game from 2001 with Brad Pitt 
but I don't think I saw that one either. Do, Matt Blaze, do you remember me recommending the movie Spy Game? No, I can't say that I do. No, so, Spy Game. Uh, maybe I... Based off the video game, that movie? I don't know. Is it The Rock in that one? But, uh, I don't know. No, that's The Rock. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Um, I, so, yeah, I don't remember recommending it, but Jeff and Lisa, if you're giving me credit for the recommendation, I'm going to take it. If you want to, um, you know, send a tip my way for the recommendation, be my guest. All right, Bonnie and Bob write, why do we shorten Christmas as Xmas? Hi, Frank. We were listening to one of your show's podcasts from last week, and there was a caller who wondered why Christmas is shortened to Xmas. You know, I got a lot of email about this, so I'll just read this one. X is the Greek letter for Christ. Sent the link to explanation below. We love your show here in Ohio. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people said that. So, you know, people that don't like Xmas, it's not really taking Christ out of Christmas. It's just the Greek letter for uh, Christ. Rita writes, hi, Frank. As a connoisseur of cigars, would you kindly recommend one or two types and brands of cigars that most smokers would enjoy? Thanks so much. I listen to your show on podcast every day. You're the best. Rita in Reading, Pennsylvania. Rita, we're actually going to be doing a segment soon with Gary Korb from Cigar Advisor about this, and I'm going to ask that question to him. I don't really, I'm not much of a cigar connoisseur. I enjoy smoking them from time to time. Obviously, I do a lot less during the winter just because it's not nice weather, but uh, I really wouldn't consider my uh, myself a cigar connoisseur or cigar expert as, as at all. Gary Korb is. Uh, I'll end with this one. Hey, I'm always enjoying your After Midnight show. It's so versatile, fun, serious, political, alieny. Anyway, my husband started watching TV just now, and I had to send you this email. Lynchpin of Bensonhurst is all about a Sicilian mobster named Dominic Matiglio. Warning, very graphic. Have you seen it? If not, you'll like it, I'm sure. Linda from Livonia, Michigan. I have not seen it, and I'll be honest, this is the first I've heard of it. I will check it out. And uh, maybe I will put it on my list. All right. If we didn't get to your letter today, hopefully we will on the next edition of... The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. stories that we have been all over is the UAP Disclosure Act, which, as I've characterized, the there's a small group of House Republicans that, with a lot of ties to the military-industrial complex, that are trying to stop the UAP Disclosure Act, which is in the NDAA. 
from uh, becoming law. Uh, Chuck Schumer addressed this on the floor of the Senate. Kills me to say it again, but once again, I agree with everything Chuck Schumer said here. Finally, on UAEs. While it's not related to China, House Republicans are also attempting to kill another common-sense bipartisan measure passed by the Senate, which I was proud to co-sponsor with Senator Rounds as the lead sponsor, to increase transparency around what the government does and does not know about unidentified aerial phenomena. Unidentified aerial phenomena generate intense curiosity for many Americans. And the risk for confusion and misinformation is high if the government isn't willing to be transparent. The measure I championed with Senator Rounds would create a board, just like we did with the JFK assassination records, to work through the declassification of many government records on UAPs. This model's been a terrific success for decades. It should be used again with UAPs, but once again, House Republicans are ready to kill this bipartisan provision. Now we're going to get the NDAA done this year, just like we have for more than six decades. But there's still some more work to do. I, uh, Senator Schumer is far from my favorite person in Washington, but I agree with everything he said there. Shame on these House Republicans for trying to stop this UAP Disclosure Act. Now, there's either two possibilities, right? Either the government has information about UAPs that they're not disclosing with us, or they don't. Let's say it's the latter. Let's say they don't have it. What's the problem with passing this legislation? And they have to come out and say, all right, well, we don't have any of this information. Let's say they do have it. Don't we, the public, have a right to know what our government that we're paying for knows? I think we do. I think we do. 800-848-9222. Tell me what you think. Uh, comment on anything you like. Four open lines, if you dare. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, have your dog or cat spayed or neutered.